After what Tom did, uh, this job of praying seems really easy. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I can always do better. Anyway, let's uh, first pause before we hear God's word to pray for God to open our hearts with a prayer of illumination. God, you are always speaking, whether in the, the chaos around us or within us. In the times when we are speaking, in the times where there is silence, in all seasons of life you're speaking, your good news and your truth. And I pray that for this time your Holy Spirit would be among us and within us to calm us and to quiet our souls so that we might be able to hear those words of grace and truth that you wish for us to learn here today. Be with us and be with Pastor Riley as she speaks. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Genesis chapter 17, 1 through 8. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will make you exceedingly numerous. Then Abram fell on his face. And God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You shall be the ancestor of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abraham, Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the ancestors of a multitude of nations. I will make your, you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make the nations of you, and the kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between you and me, and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to you offspring after you. And I will give to you and to you your offspring after you the land where you and are now an alien, all the land of Canaan for a perpetual holding. I will be their God. This is the word of the Lord. That he could not escape notice, but a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately heard about him, and she came and bowed down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of Syrophoenician origin. She begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And then he said to her, For saying that, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. So she went home and found the child laying on the bed. 
the demon gone. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It is indeed a joy and an honor to be with you this morning. I am the associate pastor at the Presbyterian New England Congregational Church in Saratoga Springs, where we think about changing the name of the church on a weekly basis. I've been a member of Schenectady Classes for a very long time. I have recently uh, changed my standing into the United Church of Christ. Uh, it has been uh, so lovely. It's so lovely to be with you this morning and to be with my people, uh, having grown up in the Reformed Church. So I, I grew up in a, in a blended family. And by blended, I mean that my mom is Christian Reformed and my dad was Missouri Synod Lutheran. Uh, these two Christian denominations have much in common with their theology and their cultural beliefs. To the extent that I remember my parents discussing religion, they agreed on most points. The one thing they didn't agree on was the role of women in the church. It was the late 90s, and my church was voting on the question of whether or not to allow women to be elders. I had been a confirmed member of my congregation at this point for a few years because, of course, I made profession of faith at 11, and that made me a member of the church. And I remember my father quoting the book of Timothy at my mother as an argument against women's being elders. And my mother countered with, well, if we take Timothy to the letter, then I shouldn't be allowed to be a classroom teacher either. And now neither of them tried to convince me to vote either way, but I do remember sitting between them with my little paper ballot in my hands at the congregational meeting. And I remember my father sitting on my left and putting a big, bold X on the no line. I remember what that felt like. I remembered that when I told him I was going to seminary. I remembered that when I invited him to my graduation and later my ordination as a minister of Warden Sacrament. Twenty years after that vote, I can tell you that my father used a pencil. And I can still feel that in my bones. My dad was not a bad guy. He was being faithful to a tradition and a culture handed down to him by his family and his church. He was not malicious or closed-minded. According to my dad, the issue of women's leadership had already been settled. And who was he to think that our church should go against years and years of tradition and scripture? God had clearly set up households and, by extension, churches to function exclusively under male authority. After all, when we talk about the ancestors of our faith, we say Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, not Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. God comes to Abraham and says, you're my guy, Abraham. You and your descendants, I choose you to be my people. I will bless you. You will prosper. And so it was Abraham begat Isaac, who begat Jacob, who had 12 boys, some daughters too, but of course it's the Bible, so 12 boys, who would become the 12 tribes of Israel. And God's chosen grew and grew. God brought them out of Egypt. God crushed their enemies that they might enter the promised land. God made for them a great nation. 
the land flowing with milk and honey, the land of the Jordan River, the land Israel set apart for God's chosen people, the Jews. The priests and religious leaders taught the chosen people how to stay pure under foreign occupation. The superpowers of Assyria and Babylon and Persia and Greece and then Rome would have their turn invading Israel and taking over, subjugating God's chosen people. The Jews persisted in not assimilating to their overlords by keeping their worship of Yahweh pure, eating kosher, keeping the Sabbath. The Jews were a particular people of a very fierce identity. Following the ancient laws kept them unified as a people in a land not their own. And so the Jews persisted as this very particular people, narrowly defined by their beliefs and culture, until God came and whispered on a cold night in Bethlehem, no, bigger. And so the world was changed forever. Jesus, the Messiah, came to save God's people. He bursts onto the scene. He is a Jew. He is part of this defined tribe, but it is no secret that not even his blood is pure Hebrew, thanks to grandmother Ruth, the Moabite, who married into the family. Even in his very DNA, Jesus expands the definition of who is chosen. But then... Then he opens his mouth, and Jesus takes the whisper and turns it into a shout, no, bigger. And Jesus starts pulling people into the fold, people on the fringes, lepers, tax collectors, bleeding women, children, the demon-possessed. Jesus takes the notion that they are unchosen, that they don't meet the standard of Abraham's children, and he yells, no, bigger. And yet not even Jesus is sure how far to push the boundaries. There is this moment where he stops and he wonders what the step too far is. I believe in a fully human Christ, so I believe it is entirely possible for the Son of God to change his mind. Because when this woman, when this Greek woman, this Gentile woman, this woman who is clearly not one of his people, comes on her knees with nothing but her faith, Jesus makes a choice. He could call her a dog and send her on her way. Or he could again change the definition of who God's love is for. I like to think that our Lord had compassion that day. I like to think that his mind was blown by the possibility of his ministry and purpose was far greater than he had initially imagined. I like to think that as he went on his way that day, he chuckled to himself, no, bigger. After the ascension of Jesus, God's second explosion of love comes on the scene. The Holy Spirit whips through Jerusalem singing, no, bigger. And the disciples preach in all manner of tongues to testify to the truth of the Messiah. God's family expands rapidly now. Peter baptizes a Roman after having this very unkosher dream. And the family thus now includes Gentiles. Philip baptizes a eunuch, and now the family includes sexual minorities. The twelve apostles get flung to the four corners of the world 
to fulfill the Great Commission, and we have the family roots now in places we know as India and Germany. Paul gets knocked off a donkey, sparking him into a mission field and letter-writing campaign that would cause God's family to grow and diversify. Yes, Gentiles. Yes, women. Yes, Romans. Yes, slaves. Yes, Greeks. Yes, Jews. We are all one in Christ. We are all God's children. When I read the Bible, the stories come together in an expanding circle of God's love radiating out of that covenant with Abraham to include now the whole world. My reformed religious tradition has given me a great love of these scriptures and a deep trust that they are true. My experience as a queer person raised a woman in the church has shown me that my trust is well placed that the expanding circle of God's love includes me too, that I too could be among the chosen. I told my parents I was gay about three months before my ordination. I wanted to give them an informed choice on whether or not they were going to support me. And honestly, I wasn't sure what their answer was gonna be. I'd known for a long time I was gay, almost as long as I knew I was called to ministry of some kind. But growing up, I didn't possibly think I could have heard God correctly. I had never seen a woman in the pulpit. I don't have any possibility models for what gay looked like, let alone a gay Christian. I'd always had this unshakable knowledge that Jesus loved me. The church had taught me that much. I never prayed to be straight. I just prayed also not to be a pastor. True story. God loves broken people. I just didn't think I could be both. Turns out I can no more deny my sexuality than I can my profound calling to this work. And turns out I am not broken, but God loves me just the way I am. It is precisely because of God's insistence that we keep reimagining the limits of God's love that I am here. And the, the word of God is a dynamic story, alive with the movement of the Spirit. We do a disservice to this gift when we shut the book and call God's story over. Every day we are called anew into the circle of God's love to reach out, to invite others in. We continue in the story and the work begun by the Messiah who showed us with his, mystery, his ministry that our vision is often too narrow. My parents came to my ordination. That day my father's beard was wet with tears of pride. I became the second woman ever to preach from the pulpit in the church I was raised in, who just last year hired a full-time woman to be on their pastoral staff. My friends, God is calling, sometimes in a whisper and sometimes in a shout, that when we look at the children of God, who are family, who are beloved, and who belong, that we hear God say to us, no, bigger. Amen.